Welcome to BSD Talk number 44. It's Sunday, May 14, 2006. We just have an interview today, so we'll jump straight to it. Tonight on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Karsten Heitzler, and he's also known as Rasterman. So I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. All right, so the reason I called you for this podcast was to ask you some questions about one of the projects you're well known for, and that is the Enlightenment desktop environment. So maybe I could ask you to describe a little Mm -hmm. bit about what Enlightenment is. Enlightenment originally started as just a basic window manager with all the visual bells and whistles. The difference between window managers and desktop environments are that traditionally, in the old style, window managers basically provided the ability to manage your applications, which means move the windows, resize them, close them, iconify and maximize, have virtual desktops, and probably launch some applications. That was the traditional window manager. In the last few years, you've seen the emergence of desktop environments like GNOME and KDE, which aren't window managers, although some people call them that, um, they actually provide not just those functions, but a whole lot more, which means you know, application toolkits and the whole kit and caboodle for creating applications, a whole bunch of applications that work together, etc. There is a land in between, which some people may know of in um, XFCE, which is basically where the next version of Enlightenment is heading, which I personally term a desktop shell which is all the things a window manager used to do, plus some of the things you see in a desktop environment, not necessarily the application, but some of the development suite to produce things, all configuration and management at the high level. And that is where Enlightenment sits these days. So somewhere in the middle, trying to do the best of both worlds, which means give you all the features you want to launch and run the applications you need, but not actually having to give you all the applications. So what is the next version of Enlightenment, and when might we see it? The next version, which we've been working on for a while, is 0.17. We don't tend to like jumping up high numbers. We just take the next number in line. When you'll see it, you'll see it when it's done. Uh, We don't do release dates because we don't have any packing for the project. We don't have guaranteed work time for it. It's done in spare time whenever you can find time. So because we don't have guaranteed time to work on it, we don't make schedules. We simply have a to-do list and we work down the to-do list. When the to-do list is done, we will start releasing alphas and betas, fix the bugs, and then you'll see a release. But it's more a to-do list and milestone method of development than release dates. So what additional facilities do you provide for people who want to create applications for the Enlightenment Windows system? We actually provide two toolkits. We actually have our own widget sets. There's EWL, which is older, and ETK, which is newer. They have been independently developed by members of the project to solve problems. 
if people want to use them, they can. At the moment, they could be still considered experimental. But at a lower level and the more interesting level, we provide a graphics rendering toolkit, which works very differently to a lot of the graphics APIs that people will be used to. Instead of it being immediate mode, which means draw line, draw line, draw box, paste image, paste this, copy this from here to there, um, and every time you want to change something, go and draw everything again. It is structural based, which is much more like a widget set, which means you create objects, you create image objects or rectangles or lines, and then modify their properties, move them, resize them, and at some point you evaluate the state of the system, and it will do whatever it needs to do to change the state from where it was previously to where it is currently. And this is the raw backend on which the widget sets that were built on top are built, which means the widget set itself is actually a lot smaller than GTK or QT because it doesn't include a lot of that logic. And it also allows you to very efficiently do a lot of that lower level logic and not have to worry about how to do redraws and how to do all of that because it's handled for you automatically. We also provide other useful libraries like core event loop handling, uh, configuration saving and loading, data structure saving and loading to disk, um, network communications, inter-process communication wrapping, some levels of memory management wrapping, as well as graphical objects abstraction libraries. So for example, the theme engine behind E17 and ETK and EWL is Edge, which is this big theme system that abstracts um, high-level GUI concepts into a data file where where theme designers can basically you know have a lot of say in how graphics are laid out, how they're padded and packed, and what they look like, how they respond to a user. Um, a bit like a combination of um, Macromedia, Flash, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It's somewhere in between all of that, but designed specifically to be used for graphical elements in the user interface. So what do you think are the greatest strengths of the environment that you provide? The greatest strengths are sheer massive flexibility that almost everything you see can be tweaked and tuned in some way. You may not find it very easy to find out where it can be tweaked and tuned, but it is possible to do. And it's possible to do it without having to edit source code. The other positives are that unlike some desktop projects, we don't have a policy of removing all the features we can to make the interface as dumb as possible for the lowest common denominator. We believe in the more options, the better. Um, and the trick of that is in presenting those options in a way that the novice user will not be too confused with too many options, but still giving the advanced user a graphical way of being able to access all the advanced options very easily. And that's our policy to remain that way, that we do not want to alienate the power user, but we still want to not make the novice user run for the hills when they see what's in front of them. But probably the biggest advantages are the fact that a lot of it is highly, highly optimized, very lean and fast, and that it actually scales all the way down to embedded devices and processes. I actually have Enlightenment running on my Sharp Zorus PDA. Um, A17 runs there. Um, most of the libraries and toolkits below, you can strip out all the parts you need. Just don't install or use the library that you're not using the functionality for. And you can make a really small disk and memory footprint piece of software based on the same libraries we're using for the window manager. 
So the end result is that the window manager is actually very lean and fast in terms of memory footprint and CPU usage compared to the amount of stuff you get back from it in terms of features and, I guess, fancy graphics, so to speak. So it basically is a big benefit for the users of lower-end systems or those that don't want to devote you know, several hundred megabytes of their memory just to their desktop environment, let alone the applications they want to use on top of it. Now, a lot of the current desktop environments do seem to be competing for the high-end. And I was wondering how enlightened, mm-hmm. how well it does in the eye candy world. Okay, there's there's a lot of marketing fluff floating around about things like AIGLX and XGL. First, I'll just clear up some of the raw facts about these. XGL is nothing more than implementing an X driver on top of OpenGL. Um, all the fancy stuff you see is basically a result of finally being able to do something efficiently as opposed to the mess that a lot of drivers have at the moment in terms of actually efficiently implementing things. And a very similar thing for AIGLX. It isn't implemented on top of OpenGL as a driver, but they're basically making indirect and um, OpenGL accelerated as opposed to software rendered, which is the way it's been done for many years. Um, and indirect GL means you're not directly talking to the, the graphics hardware via the OpenGL library. It means you talk to the X server, and then the X server talks to the 3D hardware for you. This basically allows things like a Windows PixMap, and a PixMap is just a set of pixels that make up the contents of that window, to be mapped directly to a 3D texture very, very efficiently. XGL uh, does similar tricks, which means it basically just allows you to place the contents of a window in a texture directly, and then just use OpenGL in a a composite manager to do all the 3D fanciness. So now that I've gone through that, um, Enlightenment has nothing to do with either of those projects. They're orthogonal to its development. And if they improve the performance of X, that's only to our benefit. As far as we're concerned, all of that stuff is still very experimental. Um, If you actually talk to the people who are using it, you'll find that's the case. And it also is only useful for people with high-end 3D cards at the uh, you know, high-end closed source drivers, which you cannot get the open source for, that may or may not even work on operating systems like BSD or Solaris or other operating systems that don't have those drivers. So unfortunately, they very much limit your audience um, and limit the freedom as such. We are aiming to do a lot of the fancy graphics you see in these other environments, like the soft drop shadows, all the fancy, you know, bling bling, so to speak, without needing a high-end high-end graphics environment and closed drivers. And we have achieved all of that. Um, we have been doing soft drop shadows at full speed for many years now, without any support from X or GL or anything else. That's because we spent the time as I mentioned earlier, in making our graphics pipeline extremely efficient and fast and implementing a client-side software-only pipeline that is able to do this. If you have a look at the screenshots, for example, of Enlightenment 0.17 or E17, um, you'll see a lot of screenshots have soft drop shadows on the desktop. They're configurable and they're fast because we do them in such a way that's efficient. 
And that also benefits people who run on older machines, on older operating systems with old X's, because it'll work on almost every X server back to, you know, 1988 or so. Um, basically, doesn't matter how old the X server is, it will work. So that's the benefit. We do have all the fancy stuff. We have alpha blending within Windows and within contents where we, our rendering engine is working within window manager control. We can do all the fancy effects at really high speed and we do them in software. We do have a backend that is able to use OpenGL. Unfortunately, OpenGL is a little bit too unstable and just not capable of doing a lot of things we need. Um, we do have an X-Render backend, which is the native X 2D alpha blending, image scaling, etc. Um, API, and that does work. It works perfectly well. The only problem is that the drivers do not implement X-Render very efficiently. In fact, they're generally very slow, and our own software engine is generally able to run a lot, lot faster than um, X-Render can. So it's often better just to use the software at this stage. Also, the quality of rendering with OpenGL and XRender is relatively low, especially in scaling data down. You'll notice that it doesn't scale smoothly. It ends up very pixelated and, um, well, I guess the best term for it is ugly when scaled down. You'd need to see a screenshot to notice a difference. But we do support all of that, and in addition to Supporting the back end of that, we, as I said before, our theme engine and the theme subsystem is relatively advanced and is capable of actually generating a lot of data and input to take advantage of such subsystems to be able to look really nice. So yeah, we do actually do a lot of that, but we're taking a different line of attack which does not require us to use high-end, you know, modern hardware with closed drivers. We can work on anything down to a 200 megahertz, you know, or 100 megahertz ARM CPU running in a dumb frame buffer with no hardware acceleration at all and still do the same fancy effects at a reasonable speed. How is it over the network? Enlightenment is fairly heavy in terms of bandwidth over a network because it is basically rendering all the pixels on the client side and copying to the X server whenever they need updating. I've been told it works really well um, on a LAN. Most people say it works really well because it actually avoids doing round trips, which is the real killer. A lot of networks or your LAN in the office or even wireless has a lot of bandwidth, but it's round trip or um, latency ping time is really hard. And that's generally the case with um, X in general, even on a local system without a network, that you want to avoid doing round trips to X, which means go to X, ask for something, and sit and wait for its reply. So on one side, it's heavy in terms of bandwidth usage, but on the other side, it heavily, heavily, heavily avoids round trips, which means overall, um, it should perform very well if you've got a lot of bandwidth. But don't expect it to work very well over your DSL or like modem uh, connection because it will require a lot of the bandwidth. If you are using that kind of connection, you probably don't want to be using X. You probably want to be using something like VNC or um, NX, uh, no machine, which highly compress the uh, video updates. And part of the reason I wanted to talk to you also was the licensing of Enlightenment. So maybe you could describe your choice of licensing and why you thought it would help the project. At the very, very beginning, a long time ago, we actually used GPL, but we actually changed to a BSD license. We do use the BSD license with the advertising clause still intact, 
but we are lenient on meeting the requirements of the advertising clause. We have added extra clauses that allow you to meet the terms of the advertising clause by shipping the source code. You don't have to ship the source code of yours, but you have to ship the source code that you are using from us. Or that you email the authors of the software, i.e. us, and let them know you're using it, and that will meet the requirements of the advertising clause. We did this because, as a matter of practice, we are trying to be more friendly to the commercial world, which often does not want to be forced to have to release the code on their own software, so using GPL might not be the best for them. But we like to encourage them to give back to us because if they have to maintain a fork, it is a lot of expense on their part. So giving back saves them time and energy, but we don't want to force them into that position by licensing. So we'd rather they use it, really enjoy it, like working with the community, and then give back. At the same time, we also believe that if you want to steal source code, you can. It is way too easy to do that. If you're intelligent and know what you're doing, you can steal source code and nobody would ever know you've stolen it. And in fact, most of the smarts of a program are not in the raw code itself, but in its algorithm and how it accomplishes something. So the moment you give somebody the code to it, you've already told them the secret as to how you do your thing and they can just use the same secret. The only protection in that kind of world is patents, and that is a matter for another topic, but I know I personally have very great reservations with the way the patent system works and software patents in general, in that they are granted for the most trivial, obvious things all the time, and all they do is stifle innovation and technology unless you have a very large corporation with a big legal budget to back you up. So how did you get started in programming in general, and what drew you into the open source world? Uh, I guess that's a relatively long story. I started programming when I was eight years old, when I saw at school they had some Commodore VIC-20s, and I went, ooh, they've got color screens. Oh, interesting. You know, I, I always saw computers as boring, these green text-only screens. But the VIC-20s could do color, and they actually came with little programming manuals in BASIC to tell you how to do some of the simple stuff. And that's where I started from there. I continued from VIC-20s onto Commodore 64s. I learned how to do some 6502 machine code. I started writing some you know, small little adventure games and little games of my own. And then finally, you know, whilst I was a teenager, I had an Amiga, I learned you know, how to do uh, 68K assembly. I got the um, hardware manuals, which told you how to program the hardware chipset at the raw register level. So I was writing little game engines and little graphics engines and you know, sound engines back then. And finally, when I went to university, someone, you know, basically put me in front of an X-terminal, which was connected to a big Solaris box at the end, and that was my first exposure to Unix. And my first reaction to a black-and-white X-term running NWM was, oh, my God, that's ugly. They didn't even change the default background to X. It's the default weave. Yeah, it wasn't very nice. So I originally started delving into Unix, figuring out, you know, everything that was there, learning, you know, what the shells were like, the commands. Uh, thank God the Amiga actually had a similar command line system and actually inherited some of the similarities from Unix, so I wasn't unfamiliar with it. 
but I didn't like the way it looked. So I learned how to configure the window manager. I learned how to change my window manager from MWM to TWM. Well, it was only a black and white XM, but I learned how to configure it, make it actually do a lot of things I wanted. And I started to realize how insanely configurable this Unix system really is. Um, the people who wrote them really thought of options in mind, and I really liked that philosophy because it allowed me, the user, to be able to change the system to do what I wanted as opposed to be stuck in a system that I had to adapt to it as opposed to make it adapt to me. So life continued in university. I finally learned how to program C. I actually decided I would teach myself Xlib. In fact, the only reason I learned C was to start using Xlib. Um, and I started writing some small X applications, and then I decided not to go by halves, and I started hacking RxVT. Because I noticed that it was possible to stick an image into the background of almost any window, and X would handle it very well. In fact, it would work very quickly. So I thought, why can't I have a, you know, a backdrop to my terminal? Why can't I do that? If I can do it to my desktop background, why not my terminal? So I instantly started hacking RxVT to be able to do that. Um, it didn't take too long, and thus spawned RxVT XPM, and that eventually became eTerm. And in the meantime, I decided that, well, if I can do it to my terminal, why does my window manager have to be boring and bland and have these, you know, really ugly 3D beveled things that, you know, really can't draw their bevels very well, but they kind of do an okay job. And I decided, well, why can't I have a gradient or like, you know, ivy leaves traipsing down the sides of my window? You know, if my games can do it, why can't my everyday window manager, why can't I have it look like something that I want it to look like as opposed to be stuck in the world of programmers who probably don't think in terms of art or aesthetics, they just think only in terms of functionality. So I started hacking FEWM, and before you know it, I was able to put pixmaps in the background of things, have textures, and that taught me a fair bit. And then finally I decided that, well, hacking FEWM was not going to scale, and I should really start again fresh to be able to build this concept into the window manager from the ground up. Seeing it was the window manager at the time that handled everything from you know, it handled your whole X session, it handled launching your programs, managing them, changing, you know, changing focus, you know, switching applications, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that the window manager was a logical place to put this functionality. So that's where the Enlightenment project actually really started. And I just started writing a window manager from scratch, reading every piece of information I could, reading sample code, well, that I already was reading FWM, and learning, aha, so that's how that works, and that's how that is done, and thus started Enlightenment, and has continued from there on. So what is your preferred development environment, and what do you run Enlightenment on? What operating system? My preferred development environment is actually, believe it or not, X, and it's really boring. It's basically as high a resolution screen as I can get, which in my case is 1600 by 1200, and as small a font as I can manage, which for me is a 6 by 10 font and a whole bunch of X terms. And X terms basically run a text editor. I actually use Jed. I did use NX for a while. People have tried to get me to use Vi, and every time I try, I almost want to kill people because I really hate the mode style editing of Vi. I prefer modeless, NX style. So the editor I really use is Jed. 
Um, Jed is this tiny little editor about the size of Vim. It's really small and fast, does color highlighting in my terminals. It starts up instantly. Um, and it, to me, is more familiar because it presents MX key bindings. And so for me, that means a productive environment with all these windows. The actual operating system I use is Debian Linux, mainly because the first Unix I used on the PC was uh, Linux, and I've used Linux ever since. And I don't generally tend to change operating systems very often. I started with Slackware, I then moved to Red Hat, and then a few years ago I changed to Debian, and I probably don't feel like changing anywhere near the future because I prefer to focus writing my code and working on my software than wrestling with a new operating system. Um, Linux happens to provide everything I need and want, and therefore it gets out of my way and lets me focus on my software. All right, well, is there anything else you want to cover today? I have noticed of late there seems to be a growing number of BSD users floating around, and Enlightenment does actually support BSD. We don't say no. It may not be our particular development environment, but we do realize that our users use it and want to use it, and we're always open for patches and anything we may get wrong or need to add features for. And I have noticed of late that the FreeBSD people are trying to focus on competing with Linux on the desktop. So I definitely would like to say good luck, and I hope you do really well. There's nothing like some competition to force everybody to move along faster. So yeah, I hope that FreeBSD gets its added functionality and that it's more usable on a desktop in the future. And for all I know, I may actually try it one day. Yeah, well, I think Enlightenment provides one opportunity to have a BSD-licensed desktop from top to bottom. So I think it's a, a project that's viewed with interest from the BSD community. Oh, really? Okay. I, I didn't know that they thought of it that way. I never really thought that the licensing was much of an issue because there's a lot of licenses uh, that you know the BSD system will require. Um, they're still going to need GCC, and GCC isn't going to suddenly become BSD licensed. So I never really thought of that as being an issue. <laughs> And, you know, I, I can't speak for the community, yeah. but... <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 always, I just never really saw it as an issue as such, but it's just interesting to note that you know, people might be thinking that. Yeah. All right, well, I want to yeah. thank you very much for speaking with me tonight, and I want to wish you luck on Enlightenment, and we're just uh, eagerly awaiting the next release. Okay, thank you, and thank you very much. If you'd like to leave a comment on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com or if you'd like to send me an email you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com that's b-i-t-g-e-i-s-t at yahoo.com